0: First chapter, first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans focuses on what to believe. and It makes a turn. At chapter 12, it starts to focus on how to behave, and this is Paul's pattern. In his letters and in his writings, he'll tell us what to do, but first he'll tell us what to believe. First he clarifies belief, and then with that set in place and with that firmly established, then he'll clarify behavior. He deals first with straight thinking, that's orthodoxy, straight thinking. Then he deals with straight acting, that's orthopraxy, orthodoxy, and then orthopraxy. What it says in Romans chapter 12, as Paul makes a turn from how we believe to how we behave, let's see where he focuses us. We'll find that he focuses on God's mercy and will tell us that that is to be our motive. God's mercy, and that is to be our motive. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The mercy of God is the basis for Christian obedience. It's the doorway that connects believing and behaving. It's that it's that fulcrum that balances believing and behaving. If you see believing and behaving as two sides of a seesaw, the mercy of God is that which stands in the middle. And understanding that, understanding God's mercy, will allow us to achieve a balance that we don't just believe and not behave and we don't believe behave, and, and not believe, let's consider God's mercy. It says, therefore, and you've heard this before, every time you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for, and uh, it's there for a reason, and it connects what follows to what has just been discussed, and the therefore in this att- directs our attention to what Paul has been saying in chapter 11. To understand mercy in Romans 12, we need to understand what he's just been talking about because he talks about mercy in Romans 11. We need to learn about mercy from what has just been discussed. See what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 32. God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Look what that says. In order to have mercy on everyone, God has bound everyone to disobedience. We need to learn two things. What does bound mean and what exactly is meant by disobedience? Let me tell you what bound is. It's the action of snaring someone or something in a net. There's some fish out in the pond here. And if we were to fish the way they used to fish, which they, they take this net and they cast it. I was in Belize, Central America about 20 some odd years ago. And that's how they fish. They, they had this round net and they threw and they, they throw the net. And then they pull the net. And when the net sinks, it pulls the fish that are in the net. And that, the fish are bound, snared, captured in that net. And that's what it says God. God has bound us, snared us, captured us. And it says over to disobedience. There's a different, different kinds of disobedience in the Bible. Some is just directly related to acting. This is a more specific word for disobedience. It's a disobedience that's rooted in disbelief. That's what this disobedience is. It's a disobedience rooted in disbelief. If I ask you to do something, some of you might say, no, I'm not going to do it. That's just general disobedience. But if I say, I want you to do this because I'll do this, if you say, I don't think Mike's going to do that, therefore I'm not going to do what he tells me to do, that's this word, disobedience rooted in disbelief. It's disobedience that's rooted in doubt. And in the context, here's what Paul has just been doing. It feels a little strange, but if you look at Romans 11, he has just finished explaining how God has played Jews and Gentiles off of one another and he will appeal to the jews and they feel like innies but when they feel like innies gentiles feel like outies they feel like they don't have a place in god's favor and then god did that so the gentiles feel like outies and then he flipped it he appealed to the gentiles in terms of the gospel made them feel like innies and who would feel like outies the jews feel like outies and in so doing, he snares them, and both Jew and Gentile at one level feel like outies. They feel like they have no basis upon which to believe that their actions toward God make any, make any difference whatsoever. They, they feel like they're beyond salvage. And what God does that for Pins the net and causes everyone to feel, I'm beyond salvage. I'm not going to make it. If God's going to be committed to me, I'm not going to be able to do the things that he wants me to do in order to be committed. That's what God does. He snares everyone in that net so that he may have mercy on them all. The disobedience is rooted in it won't make a difference. I can't possibly get on good, God's good side, so why would I expend the effort to try? This is where God leads us in order to have mercy on us. He snares everyone in a net of disbelief-based disobedience. At some level, some of us more than others, some of us are more in touch with it than others. We all have a sense of some level that would be on salvage spiritually. At some level, we think, well, maybe, but we have deep doubts. At some level, uh, we push it under the water, but it's still there. God's mercy, then, is given to those who believe they have no basis upon which to believe that God would be kind to them. They see that they don't do what God wants them to do. They don't have what they think God might want them to have. And and therefore, when God acts toward that individual who doesn't believe he can obligate god to act in his behalf it's based on god's mercy not on their merit god's love is always an undeserved gift never an earned reward and this sense of mercy is the springboard for everything that follows mercy this expression of mercy is the springboard for christian obedience It's the foundation for Christian obedience. We have to stand on this in order to understand and experience the will of God. Um, With God's mercy as the foundation of our approach, it says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And offering our bodies is, is to offer all of ourselves, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. It's to place ourselves at God's disposal, and to say, I want you to do with me everything that you would do with me, not only skin and bones, but the totality of which we're composed. And this sacrifice it has three adjectives attached to it. It's to be living, holy, and pleasing to God. As we offer ourselves up to God, it's a living sacrifice, holy, and Pleasing to God, living, living sacrifice. Any sacrifice that was given to God was living. Somebody said it has to be a living sacrifice. The problem with having a living sacrifice, it's always crawling off the altar. You know, we offer ourselves to God and then we say, no, I don't think I want to do that. All of us wrestle with that. But what it means by living here, living in the sense that connected with the source of life. It's living in a spiritual sense. Look what it says in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10 in your worship folder. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The gospel is that while we were dead in transgressions, and we've got to remember that that's where we start. We weren't spiritually deformed. We weren't spiritually crippled. We were spiritually dead, unresponsive to God in transgressions and sins, beyond salvage spiritually. At that point, when we were beyond salvage, God initiated his action towards us and raised us with Christ and seated us with him In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So if we are living spiritually, we're living because of God's initiative, not ours. We weren't in a position to be able to do anything to innervate ourselves. We were dead. A dead person cannot make themselves alive. Would you agree with me? Our problem is not that we're spiritually broken, it's that we're spiritually dead. That's the condition that we're in when God initiates his activity towards us. He reaches towards a dead person and brings a dead person to life. This is where God conceives of us when He sends His Son and crucified with Christ, raised and seated with Him at the heavenly realms, living because of God's initiative, not because of ours. The good news of the Gospel is this. God does the heavy lifting. In fact, God does all the lifting. A dead person can't lift anything. But it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, So that no one can boast. God does the heavy lifting. What is our part? What's our part? To believe that God does his part. That's our part. Our part is to believe that God does his part. What is God's part? To reach out in mercy to a person who is dead in transgressions and sins. Unresponsive. We are to believe that that's what God does. His initiative towards us is to somebody who Is beyond salvage. And when we understand that, we are in a place to balance believing and behaving. It's the fulcrum. We understand the connection between what he asks us to believe and how he asks us to behave. It begins here, having a clear idea of what God's mercy means. And it means God extending life to somebody who's dead. That's us. And once we understand that, we're in a place where we can experience life. We receive the benefits of God's work by faith. Faith in what he did when we were beyond salvage spiritually. This is the foundation of the Christian life. The mercy of God. Good works move from mercy. Not toward it. I'm going to say that again. Good works are involved. They move from mercy mercy, not toward mercy. When I understand that God moved toward me when I was dead, my works then move from what God did for me, not toward what God will do for me. That's where it's important. They move from the mercy I've received and then when that, when I'm seated in that, then my good works, I'm not doing things to try to get God to be nice to me. Because God was nice to me when I was dead. If God was nice to me, if he reached out for me, to me when I was dead, I don't have to do anything for him to love me. Would you agree? I didn't have to do anything when he loved me the first time. And, and if I get turned around and believe that I need to act in order to get him to love me, what happens? I got turned around, and now I would. And sometimes we do that. We use good works as the means whereby to enter into God's mercy. That's backwards. God's mercy is in your rearview mirror, big, huge. And when that's the case, then the things we do, they are based in God's mercy, and then we achieve balance in the Christian life, living through faith in what God did and when he did it. That's why faith is huge. Faith is huge. Faith is not doing the right thing. Initially, it's believing that God did for us something that we're would not we not able to do for ourselves. Believing in that. That's the foundation. It says it's holy. Something that holy, a holy sacrifice is desecularized. When I give something over to God within Judaism, that which is given to God and offered to him is no longer mine. There are some offerings that had to be given. There are some offerings that were voluntary. And this offering, when it's saying offering of ourselves, if the mercy of God is the basis upon which we are to offer ourselves, I have a question. Is that offering free will or mandatory? Is God mandating that you give yourself to him? If it's based on the mercy of God, it can't be mandated. Do you understand? Because he's talking to somebody who was in no position to give anything, and he makes us alive. And when we understand we're alive because of what he's done, then we offer ourselves to him based on his mercy, and that's what it asks us to do. I urge you, therefore, because of the mercy of God, To present your bodies to him as living and holy sacrifices, something that's holy, is desecularized. It has been given to God and it becomes his. God wants you. But he wants a free will. God, because of my perception of your mercy, I give myself to you. That's what he wants. The motive is everything. The motive is everything. A fearful, I better do this or you're going to hurt me, is not going to cut it. Not going to cut it. Motive is everything with God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The voluntary offering of ourselves based on the deep awareness of the love and mercy of God. A worship involving thoughts, attitudes, and feelings expressed in words and deeds. But the motive is critical. Let's talk about motive. Let's talk about mercy as a motive for the Christian life. Um, in Exodus 35, it says, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. That word free will. here's what happened. It's also, it's translated noble elsewhere in the Bible. And when the Bible talks about nobility, it's talking about uncoerced unconstrained concern for God's purposes and especially for the poor and the oppressed. That's what nobility is. It's uncoerced, unconstrained interest in reaching out towards the poor and the oppressed. The big thing about noble offerings is that they had to be freely offered. There's a couple different kinds of offerings in Judaism. Some you had to that you had to prescribe, and they had to be perfect. The sin offering had to be perfect. You had to get an unblemished animal, had to be presented to God by the right person, in the right way, at the right time, for the right, everything had to be perfect. And once the sin offering was completed, once your connection has already been taken care of, again, the sin problem is removed. Then, you could do the free will offering. And the interesting thing about the free will offering, if you had a deformed animal, something that was not perfect, you could never give this animal as a sin or guilt offering. It had to be perfect. But as a free will offering, you could. You could present something that is imperfect if the sin has already been taken care of. Free will offerings don't have to be perfect, but they do have to be voluntary. And that's what God wants Is your sin problem take care of? Do you have a connection with God? Can you present yourself as a living sacrifice? You say, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? You say, because my, you don't understand. I don't go to church as much as I think I should. I don't pray as much as I think I should. I don't give as much as I think I should. I don't do as many acts of service as I think I should do. No one ends up getting wrong there. It's using good things for the wrong purpose. Your acts and your prayer and your Bible reading and your giving can never be perfect enough to act as your sin offering. There's only one thing that can function as your sin offering. That's what Jesus did. And then you have to put your faith in that. You understand? You know what we try to do sometimes? We try to use service to get forgiven. It's crazy. It needs to be perfect. Some of us, we don't freely give ourselves to God because we're too busy trying to be forgiven. That's been taken care of. And you say, well, Mike, what do I need to do? Believe it. Believe it. You say, I don't know. You don't know what I've done. Okay. You know, I've said this before. It's like standing at the foot of the cross and saying, nice try, Jesus, but I can't forget what I did. What? When you were dead in transgressions and sins, Christ sent his son to die. You know, it's left to happen for you to believe it. Is your sin offering taken care of? And you say, so that's dangerous. It's not because you can't serve until sin's taken care of. Do you understand that? You can't serve until sin's taken care of. Once sin is taken care of, then you can give free will offerings. Some of us, we, we don't serve because we think our service needs to be perfect. We've gotten all mixed up. The sin offering is already taken care of. Believe it. Then, free will offering. Do what you can. It doesn't need to be perfect. That's the nice thing about service. Your hospitality doesn't need to be perfect. Your giving doesn't need to be perfect. And God accepts it. As long as it's given from a clear understanding that it's based in God's mercy. That has to be, it, for, for motive is everything with God. Motive is everything. Um, Jesus told the story. It gets, I think, to the heart of the issue. I'm going to read it, Luke 19. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable, because they were near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. I skipped over Then one he had given ten made ten more. One he had given five made five more. And then he talked to the one who, and we'll find out what this guy did. Another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You work at servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Break the story down a little bit. We need to understand a couple of things. Um, He was nearing Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And this was the basis of some people being disappointed with Jesus. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Jesus was going to walk into Jerusalem, and he was going to make everything right. One of the things that gives us problems with God is that we assume that he's going to bring the kingdom at once. He's going to fix my relationships. He's going to fix my body. He's going to fix my emotions. I'll be able to feel what I want to feel. I'll be able to do what I want to do. I'll be able to have what I want to have problem with that and what's happened there are two different people in this story there are subjects and servants the subjects are the citizens of the kingdom the servants are the ones who serve this individual and the subjects hated him you know why they hated him because hope deferred makes the heart sick Jesus walked into Jerusalem and they're thinking finally I'm going to be able to get Roman occupation. I'm not going to have to do what the Romans want. I'm going to be able to be free. I'm going to be able to do what I want to do, have what I want to have, feel what I want to feel. And what ended up happening? Jesus, well, in the story, he's predicting what's going to happen. People assume that when Jesus walks in, everything's going to be great. i got a question for you. You've come into a relationship with Christ. At some level, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. Question him. Do you have what you want to have? Do you do what you want to do? Do you get to feel what you want to feel? And what ends up happening? We assume at some level that he'll allow that to happen. When it doesn't happen, what do we do? What do you do? When you don't get to have what you want to have. You don't get to do what you want to do. You don't get to feel what you want to feel. What do you do? I know what I do. I blame someone. Somebody's dropping the ball. Maybe I'm dropping the ball. Maybe I'm not doing everything that God wants me to do. And if I did everything God, then God would be nice. No, that doesn't work. But we we blame somebody else. God wants me to enjoy my life. God wants me to feel what I want to feel. They thought Jesus was going to allow that. And when they didn't, you know what they ended up doing? Hating Him. You know why? Because heart deferred, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Christ doesn't come into our life to make this life everything that we would like it to be. That's coming. That's coming. But not now. Not now. The subject hated Him for that reason. Um He raised their hopes and made them wait. We hate to wait. This servant came and again the third servant said, Sir, here's your Mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you do not sow. There are thoughts, attitudes, and actions. We talk about this. Thoughts are our opinions of God. Attitudes are our response to god because of our attitude because of our thoughts thoughts what i think about god attitude my response to god based on those thoughts and actions are the result of the thoughts and attitudes okay what's this guy's action what did he do he took this coin wrapped it in a piece of cloth and buried it that's his action okay Before action, the reason there was an action is there was an attitude. What's the attitude? What says in here? I was. What was he? What was his? I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you. And because I was afraid of you, I took this thing that you gave me that I could use and maybe use as the basis of service and I wrapped it up and I put it in a cloth and I hid it because I was afraid of you. Okay, What's the action? What's the attitude? I was afraid. What's the thought? You are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you and reap what you did not sow. You get blood out of a rock. That's the thought. You ask for things you have no right to ask for. That's the thought. The attitude is, I was afraid of you. The action is, I'm going to hide your mina. What happened to this servant? The first servant who had ten minas did fine with them. You know why? He wasn't afraid because he had different thoughts about the master. You know what he probably knew? That the one I serve is merciful. Not a hard man. Not a hard man. A merciful. A merciful overseer. And that's why he was able to use his gifts. The one with five could do the same. What happened to this guy? You know what I imagine? I imagine that he believed and looked at the master the way the subject of the kingdom looked at the Master because he didn't bring about right away the things they wanted to see. We get impatient. We don't learn very well to live in tension in the world. Would you agree with me? If things don't go our way, we make someone pay. I pay, you pay, he pays. We don't tolerate tension very well. God would have us to do is understand his mercy. And what, you know, in this thing, by the way, what does God judge? Does he judge? We imagine that when you wrap your gift and you put it in a cloth and you bury it, does God judge that? Does God judge your fear of him? You know what God judged in this thing? He said, I was a hard man taking out what I did not sow, reaping what I did put in, God judges thoughts because thoughts lead to attitudes and because attitudes lead to actions. God judges thoughts because they lead to attitudes because they lead to action. What does God want you to think about him? He's going to talk about the will of God and we'll start to look at that next week. I urge you therefore by the mercy of God to present your bodies to Him as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual, rational service of worship. The mercy of God is the foundation for the Christian life. And that's what God would have us believe. Worship team, come on up and we're going to sing a closing song. What we do, why we do what we do, is more important than what we do. I'm going to say that again. Why we do what we do is more important than what we do. What we're going to find, mercy is the foundation that Paul lays in Romans 1-11 through and it's also the foundation for everything that follows in terms of obedience. Obedience rises out of mercy.